mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, state lawmakers are hammering out final details of Ohio's $13.5 billion transportation budget bill ahead of Friday's deadline, even as broader questions remain over where funding for road projects will come from in the future. We'll speak with State Representative John Cross. Also this morning, losing a child is every parent's nightmare. Imagine enduring that tragedy three times. Denny Meek reflects on her experience in the award-winning memoir, Still Standing, A Mother's Raw Journey from the Shadows of Loss to the Dawning of Hope. And the Findlay-Hancock County Public Library is seeking your input as they plan for the future. Director Sarah Clevidence will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, March 29th, 2023. According to a new study, this is the uh, latest uh, item here from WalletHub. And the folks at WalletHub put together some really interesting studies. They crunch the numbers and they find that the happiest city in America, this is their latest list, the happiest city in America is Fremont, California. Researchers, it says here, analyzed 30 happiness-related data metrics, which were grouped into three broad categories, emotional and physical well-being, income and employment, and community and environment. So all of the three dozen metrics that they looked at, nearly three dozen metrics they looked at, fell into one of those three categories. And so they crunch all of the numbers, and they came up with a list of 182 U.S. cities. They scored each of them on a 100-point scale, and Fremont, California had an overall score of 76.10 to land at number one on the list. It's a city in the San Francisco Bay Area. So, uh, happiest place in America, San Jose, California, was second with a score of 70.35, again, on a scale of 1 to 100. Madison, Wisconsin, came in third, followed by Overland Park, Kansas, <laughs> uh, and uh, San Francisco, rounding out the top five with a score of 68.83. So those are the top five happiest cities in America. Our apologies to the Walt Disney Company. Orlando is not on the in the top five. Uh, neither is Anaheim, where you know Disneyland. They say that's the happiest place on earth, but no, not according to Wallet Hub. And here's the thing that really caught my eye: uh, cities in Ohio did not fare very well. You have to go all the way down to num- number one hundred forty-three before you hit a city in Ohio. Columbus is number one hundred forty-three out of one hundred eighty-two. That's not doing too well. Now, I don't know what Columbus's shortcomings are, or what Ohio's shortcomings are, for that matter, because I haven't uh, done a deep dive into the numbers here, but Columbus was the top city in Ohio at only number 143. Cincinnati is number 163. Akron, 168. (laughs) Then you get to Toledo at 172, again, out of 182, and Columbus or uh, Cleveland rather uh, is the least happy city among those in Ohio that made the list at number 179 by the way in case you're curious last on the list dead last at number 182 
Detroit, Michigan. So at least we've gotten Detroit beat. At least we've got <laughs> uh, Detroit beat. So I suppose there is that. But 143rd, I guess if you want to be happy, you got to leave the Buckeye State for sure. Apparently move to California. I don't know. That's Make of that what you will, but that's what they what they say according to the metrics. Uh, we're all going to have to find some place uh, else to live very soon, apparently. Um, a new study estimates that the world's population... You know the world's population continues to grow and grow and grow. The United Nations Population Division reported that the population of planet Earth reached 8 billion last November. 8 billion people on the planet as of last November, which begs the question... How many more people can we actually sustain on this planet? And a new study estimates that the world's population will peak sometime in the 2050s at 8.5 billion. This is uh, from scientists at the Earth for All initiative for the Global Challenges Foundation. They conducted this study basing their estimates on what they call a giant leap in investment in economic development, education, and health. 8.5 billion is the peak population on the planet. They say we'll hit that sometime in the 2050s, and then presumably they believe that we'll uh, begin to die out. Human, human race will begin to die out, and population will start to go down after that. But that's what they say. Kind of interesting. Uh, and all of those people are going to be moving to Fremont, California, apparently, because it's the happiest place uh, out there. <clears throat> That's the good thing, I suppose. Uh, if you look at the Ohio list, uh, Ohio cities on the list of happiest places, we're down at the bottom. People won't move here, so I don't have to worry about it being too crowded. So that's that's fine. If they, I'm perfectly happy with that. <laughs> uh, so tomorrow, opening day of the baseball season this weekend. Uh, the final four will be contested in college basketball. Um, college basketball is a crazy season. It starts during football season and ends during baseball season, kind of bridges that gap. And this is kind of interesting. I uh, saw this piece. Actually, I saw it in uh, Sports Illustrated, but they credit the Sports Business Journal with uh, with this quick analysis, crunching the uh, numbers. So we have this final four of San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, UConn, and Miami. Not a blue blood among them in the college basketball world. No Kentucky, no Duke, no North Carolina, um, no Kansas. I mean, you think of the big, big programs, the big programs in college basketball, and they are nowhere to be found. As a matter of fact, no number one seeds even made the Elite Eight. First time that that's uh, ever happened and so, what, we've got a couple of five seeds, a three seed, and a nine seed or something in the final four. And while you might think that everyone loves an underdog, and we love that there are fresh teams in the final four vying for the championship. I mean, UConn, obviously, has been there before, but the others uh, are brand new, and you'd think that um, college basketball fans are ecstatic with this uh, idea of new teams getting a chance to uh, cut down the nets for the national championship. The broadcast partners, CBS and Turner Sports, 
are not exactly thrilled with this Final Four, as it turns out. Uh, Austin Karp, the Sports Business Journal, shared some of the tournament ratings news from this past weekend, and it was not very good. Viewership overall for the 2023 NCAA tournament is down 6% from last season. Uh, And this this past weekend's Elite Eight games were down 14% from last season. Last year, remember, we had North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke. And so, I mean, it doesn't get any more blue blood than that in college basketball. And this year, uh, it's uh, down 14%. The reason why, they say, and I thought this was kind of interesting, hardcore sports fans may love the story of a Florida Atlantic or a San Diego State, but it is the powerhouse teams that bring in the fringe fans to the tournament, the people who don't watch college basketball religiously all season long and just tune in for the tournament. And the reason why it's those powerhouse teams that bring in those fringe fans is because people love to hate. (laughs) We just love to... Sports fans, not only do we want a team to root for... We are just, it is just as important psychologically to have a team to root against. And so with none of those teams that you can really root against, then people are just not as interested. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, I would not have guessed that the uh, ratings for the men's basketball tournament this year were down, but apparently they are couple of other items here among the first things you need to know this morning. Oh, this is big news. This is maybe the biggest news of the day. We have new emoji. It's always very exciting when they introduce new emoji to the world. The 21 newest emoji that are available on iOS on the latest iOS uh, update include a jellyfish, a shaking face, hmm, uh, and more hearts, including the much-demanded pink heart emoji is finally here. Uh, By the way, it says the shaking face could be used for shock, you know, reactions of shock or to indicate excessive movement. Uh, But those are the big ones, jellyfish, more hearts and a shaking face. Uh, there are also some new animals uh, like a moose, a donkey, a blackbird, and a goose that are all included in the latest emoji update. Um, and I think this one will probably get a lot of, uh, a lot of use from people. Um, a flat palm. A uh, flat palm. Uh, facing the the user is basically looks uh, like a uh, talk to the hand symbol. You know when people say yep, talk to the hand, you know, they hold their hand up, talk to the hand. So we have an emoji for talk to the hand now. So that is uh, that is big news. A new emoji. We'll see how those start to pop up in text messages. And uh, I saw this uh, item here. See what you think about this. Uh, really fascinating, uh, one of those uh, things that make you go, hmm, I would think that it would be safe to say that most people don't want to die. However, 
even among those of us not ready to shuffle off their mortal, mortal coil, coils, easy for me to say, uh, I think we're all curious as to what comes next, right, when we die. And thanks to a new virtual reality simulator, you can die virtually. <laughs> you can experience, you can find out what it's like to die virtually. Sean Gladwell is a multimedia artist in Australia who has created a virtual reality. He says he wanted to redefine the boundaries of traditional art. Um, in an event being staged by the National Gallery of Victoria, uh, part of the Melbourne Now Art Exhibition, the attraction lets patrons lay down on a gurney where a heart rate monitor is attached to their finger and you put on a VR headset, and according to one person who has actually experienced this, uh, what happens is you're laying down, the bed vibrates, you flatline, and then you see the doctors come up over the top of you, they try to revive you, and it doesn't work, and then you float up past them into space. You can virtually die. Virtual reality. Um, This user who... uh, who went through this experience, said he didn't want to spoil what happens after that, but uh, the rest of the journey apparently is based on the anecdotal experiences of those who have had near-death experiences. And uh, they do give you the option, if you have had enough and want to quit, you just raise your hand and they'll uh, break the uh, virtual reality experience and you'll come back to real reality. But is that weird or was that it just it makes you wonder, would you? I don't know if I would. I I have to I mean I understand the curiosity over what may come next, but I'm just I'm not so sure that I'm ready to find out. Virtual reality. Weird stuff. There you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demcheck. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly sunny today, a high of 42, rain or snow showers possible tonight, a low of 25. The Finley Police Department says a lot of illegal narcotics were discovered in the vehicle of a man who was found passed out behind the wheel. It happened at the Interstate 75 southbound exit ramp to West Trenton Avenue. Police say methamphetamine, suspected fentanyl, mushrooms, pills, and marijuana was all discovered in the vehicle. A 39-year-old was arrested and booked to the Hancock County Jail for OVI and drug possession. And pending lab results, the man could be facing additional charges. In East Palestine, Ohio, some people are taking to the streets in protest. They say they want to be heard after the Norfolk Southern train derailment that spilled dangerous chemicals in their town. They want to hold Norfolk Southern, the EPA, and the governor accountable. We want to keep this in the forefront of the news because they still don't have independent testing. And I believe that that's what we need. Governor Mike DeWine says tests of the soil, water, and air in East Palestine are still coming back clean. I'm Brittany Bailey. Backyard mission trip of Finley is looking for volunteers to help out with their upcoming event. Leanne Ireland says it's a great way for people to give back to their neighborhoods and help out people in need. It may be raking leaves, putting mulch down, washing windows, painting a shed, just a whole host of things. Leanne says people of all skill levels can help out, whether it's just basic yard work or something more involved like building a ramp. 
We have a link on the website where you can learn more about a backyard mission trip of Finley and a volunteer. The United Way of Hancock County Corps Scholarship Committee has named Macomb High School senior Riley Fry as this year's United Way Foundation Corps Scholar. Riley was selected based on her volunteerism, academic accomplishments, involvement in extracurricular and school activities, and her ability to exemplify leadership skills. She plans on attending Lee University in Tennessee to major in middle childhood education with a minor in Christian ministry. Learn more about why the United Way of Hancock County named Riley their C-Corps scholar and more about the scholarship itself on our website. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So today's cover story, some good news, breaking news this morning. State lawmakers have hammered out the final details of Ohio's $13.5 billion transportation budget bill ahead of Friday's deadline. State Representative John Cross is uh, with us this morning. Now, uh, this is a bill that uh, passed the uh, state Senate about a week ago, unanimously ran into uh, a few potholes, no pun intended, uh, in the House. (laughs) But uh, my understanding is the, the biggest sticking point at issue was the threshold beyond which counties uh, have to put road and bridge projects out to competitive bid rather than handle the work in-house. That was right. the the big sticking point, right? Yeah, yeah. Good morning, Chris. It's, it, you know, uh, we're excited to vote on the transportation budget today a couple of days ahead of time. And um, it, it's the largest jobs bill we're going to vote on. It's the largest, one of the largest transportation budgets we're going to vote on. Uh, and I think Ohioans really appreciate you know, the good quality roads and bridges we have, the safety standards we have. And in the last two budget cycles I've been involved with, it, 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 this has been a the force accounts, which is basically how, how much county engineers can do versus private contractors can do when it comes to the right. uh, amount of roads and bridges, has always been debated. And with inflation costs and Obviously, things on the rise. We had to make some adjustments. Yeah, but really, I, I want to appreciate. I want to thank the engineers, and uh, I want to thank our Hancock County engineer Doug Cade. Uh, does tremendous work. He was kind of involved behind the scenes and a lot of stuff too. But the, the private contractors and the engineers actually continued to negotiate. It really came to an agreement. It, it didn't really. It, we didn't have to really force our hand or put ourselves on the scale too much, Chris. I was really pleased that, that the engineers and contractors could really come to an agreement. So they did. Uh, we also. Uh, so what? Ha- yeah. So what was the? So what is the compromise uh, that that was reached on this? Because uh, again, yeah. with respect to these projects that are that have to go uh, out to competitive bid, pre- uh, previously this has been basically judged on on the cost of the project and it was something ridiculously yeah. low that hadn't been changed in 20 years like something anything over a hundred thousand dollars which on a road project or a bridge project is uh it's pretty easy to get to a hundred thousand dollars uh those you are you yeah those are contracts that commercial companies don't often want and so it ends up these projects just sit there and don't get done Others have suggested that there should be additional factors uh, about the size and scope of the project that should be taken into consideration when judging whether a, a project can be handled in-house. What was the compromise here? 
Well, it, it kind of went back and forth. I mean, first it was scope, right? Length, and, and we were debating length versus, you know, how far you could, you know, on a bridge or how, how far on a yeah. road. And, and it ultimately landed actually on cost. I think uh, they 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 come up with like a two hundred and thirty three thousand dollar number for okay uh, roads and bridges and a seventy thousand dollar number for roads and bridges. So ultimately, you know, that's kind of uh, I guess maybe the the, the listener on, on the phone uh, the listeners listening to today may not understand you know why two hundred thirty three thousand why seventy thousand, uh, but that's that's where they landed was actually on cost not scope. If everybody's happy with that, I'm happy. I'll, I'll be. It's easy for me to push the green button and vote yes. Mm-hmm. But but ultimately, you know, we want our county engineers to do good work. We also want you know uh, our private contractors to be able to do good work. And I think they've found you know a place to meet in the middle. And again, you know, it's a two-year transportation budget. I'm right. sure in two years from now we'll take <laughs> a look at this again. But but I want the listeners to know that this budget is really good for Hancock County. There's going to be things in this budget that will help uh, the County Road uh, 99 interchange. It'll help continue to improve safety on 15 and 30. Um, so there's, there's, you know, there's some really good things in this budget that will also help yeah. us here locally in the district. There also uh, was some discussion over provisions that were added in the wake of the Norfolk Southern uh disaster in in east palestine uh adding some rail safety measures to this uh budget bill your thoughts on uh adding those many people say necessary uh provisions to protect uh communities uh that would be impacted by uh, rail safety which is about every community including our own um, and there were some questions over whether or not this was uh, under the purview of the state or whether this uh, would be overruled by the federal courts. Well, in my opinion, the, the, the trains and rail is really at the, at the uh, focus of the federal government. I think what we try to do at the state level is make some encouraging policy comments and suggestions inside the transportation budget. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with Congress. They're the ones that, that uh, will control, you know, what happens with policy as it mm-hmm. relates to rail safety. Um, so, you is know, it we... Good, we, we yeah. it, no, I was going to say, is it good to put those provisions in the bill to force the, the federal government to confront these issues? Because that, again, yeah, is... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're advocates too, right? I mean, we're, we're advocates at the end of the day of the state legislature. is also, I think, an advocate to Congress. There's several times that we pass House resolutions and we do things to encourage Congress to act on yeah. certain things. And so we, we certainly want them to do that. We know that they are looking at that and they are trying to make those... those uh, uh, things happen, so we're 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 tough. I mean, listen, rail is important. It's important for the supply chain. It's important for moving goods and products, and and uh, and safety is also a concern too. So we have to balance both. And I want so, to. Um, I want to ask, uh, getting back to the roads and bridges, which obviously is the the main focus of the uh, transportation bill, uh, all of this happening, 
Uh, and again, as you mentioned, it's two-year bill, so this will all come up again in two years. And two years from now could be an interesting discussion because this is all happening in the background of questions being asked about the future funding source for road and bridge projects. Uh, the Ohio Department of Transportation is actually right now uh, exploring funding alternatives to the gas tax. Get your thoughts on what those alternatives might be and if uh, it is indeed time. There have been some who've suggested maybe scrapping the gas tax altogether, replacing it with something else. Well, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not maybe as optimistic as, as what you may uh, uh, have said there because, uh, number one, uh, I, I love uh, combustion engines. I love a good old V8, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm not ready to go to an electric car, Chris. So, so uh, now that doesn't mean we're going to stop policy from changing. But, but I don't know if it's going to happen as fast as we think with, with that respect because it's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. how, else do you, how else do you figure it out? But first off, Ohioans love their roads. We have really good roads. And the way to do this is go drive in Michigan, go drive in Indiana, and then come back to Ohio. And you understand how we do a nice job of keeping our road infrastructure uh, solid because the, the roads of Michigan, my, my goodness, when you come back to you feel like you got to change all four. You know tires, when you, so. yeah, you know when you've crossed the state line. That is for sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. So, 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 you know, uh, people say, "Well, are you going to check your mileage speedometer or mm-hmm. this or that?" I mean, th- there. I think over time there'll be technology to figure this all out. I don't think it's going to move as fast. I'm still skeptical of, of the car industry uh, being bullish as they want to be thinking that we're just going to be all electric vehicles by 2030. I hope not. I mean, I'm not, that's, that's not uh, a thing that I think uh, that uh, will happen, but, but, you know, right now the user fee for fuel works. And I I do believe ODOT has to figure out over time how that will eventually change, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's going to happen uh, in my term here in the Ohio House. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that will be for someone else for another day to figure out. We will leave it there. Uh, again, ODOT is exploring those uh, alternatives. Uh, incidentally, they have set up a website uh, to take uh, input from the, uh, from the public uh, on this. Um, but, uh, again, nobody likes taxes or fees in any form but when it comes to roads and bridges i think we all see the necessity again state representative john cross with us this morning again good news uh, the compromise reached in the uh, big transportation budget bill ahead of uh, friday's deadline uh, mr cross thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it thanks chris well of course every parent's nightmare would be losing a child and tragically Our next guest has experienced that nightmare not once, not twice, but three times, incredibly. Denny Meek is author of the award-winning memoir, Still Standing, A Mother's Raw Journey from the Shadows of Loss to the Dawning of Hope. Denny, there are a lot of books about remaining strong in the face of adversity, but this is just hard to imagine this kind of adversity. When did you decide to write the book? And I'm curious, did you find that writing it was easier or harder than you initially believed it would be? Good question, Chris. Um, I first decided to write the book about 18 months 
after my eldest son died. So that was the second death that I had experienced. Mm -hmm. And my thought was that uh, I was keeping a lot of journals at the time. I was journaling a lot. In fact, I've journaled a lot throughout my life, three million words, in fact. And I was articulating uh, spaces that really only somebody who'd been to those places could know. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that would help other bereaved parents. So that's when I had the original thought to write the book. Um, the story continued to unfold after that, and another four years later, I had another loss, and I didn't know if I would continue with the idea of writing a book. I did, and it was like a light pulling me through that tunnel. I set myself mm. a goal, and it was a mission for me, and it was a help to me. Yeah. So, I, you. Yeah. You talk about the the mindset in the in the title that through it all you're still standing, but did you consider making the title "Why Me"? I'm sure that thought kind of crossed your mind more than a few times. Yes, it did. It did. Not not even consciously. It's just a feeling. It's a it's a terrible. Uh, it is a terrible feeling. Uh, you know, I was angry for a stretch there. I felt like a pawn, swept mm -hmm. around some kind of chessboard. Um, and I think that that's a difficult psychic pain, the why me question, especially when your experiences are different to those around you. Um, I felt like different rules for me than for other people and like I was on a different planet deterred me from confiding in people close to me because that reinforced my differentness. Mm -hmm. But I'm very glad to say that it is possible to experience these things and come through that because but that why me question doesn't really burn me anymore. And it's not like these are the only hardships you've endured either. You also talk in the book about the challenges of single parenting, overcoming domestic violence in two relationships, your daughter's struggles with anorexia, and so on and so forth. And yet when all is said and done, this isn't this isn't a sob story uh, as it Again, as it alludes to in the uh, in the subtitle, you still find hope through all of this. How? <laughs> I I think that you you have to cut it down to a day at a time, and when it when it gets really hard, it's an hour at a time. Um, yeah, you it's just um, you've got to find things to hold on to. You come down into survival mode, and you have to prioritize what has to be done that day and what can wait. And you come down into psychological survival too with coping mechanisms that you can use short term. And then as you get getting through the loss, you find that you're bringing in psychological coping mechanisms that help you long term, which is different. But um, eventually we do develop resilience, you know. Um, I think that after my infant son died, which was in my 20s, in my mid-20s, mm -hmm. um, it became a reference point in my life so that each time a big challenge came along after that, I would think, well, I got through Joseph's death yeah. and that impossible deep grief so I can do this. Yeah. And I didn't want all that effort wasted. <clears throat> that determination established a groove for me. And I think that looking at it this way, Every new trial I got through validated the previous ones and honoured them on some level and built on them. Is, yeah. the, is the biggest struggle getting over the guilt uh, 
all of the things that go through your mind of what you did do or didn't do or should have done or shouldn't have done in the midst of all of this? I think that um, every every subject, every aspect of the loss has its turn with you. And so the guilt will be at the fore for a stretch and you will probably revisit it many times. Mm-hmm. That's how it was for me. Um, you know, it just it had its turn over and over. When it did, I would revisit scenes from my children's lives and wonder how I could have improved, what I could have said or done or not said or done. It's a torturous um, loss to live with a suicide, much less to, yeah. you know, I, I felt, of course, like I must have been a bad mother. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's taken a lot of coping with. And I just think it's miraculous that it's possible to recover. <laughs> you, you are never a former bereaved parent, but you can have lighter days again. And I just think that's incredible. That That is uh, really amazing when you think about the resiliency of the human spirit to go through all of mm-hmm. the tragedy that you have had and still come out on the other side. Is that uh, ultimately what you hope the takeaway message will be for those who read the book? I think it is. Initially, the takeaway is probably for bereaved parents so that they will know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when you hear somebody describing um, a situation or a state, a bereaved state that you could only really know if you'd been there. Yeah. It's incredible how how that addresses the isolation of that experience. And the isolation is one of the worst parts of it, Mm -hmm. feeling like, you know, there could not possibly be another person on the planet experiencing what you are. Right. But um, initially it was for bereaved parents. And then as I continued to write, I realized that there were a lot of aspects to this experience that were common to humanness, to human life. And so I have actually used excerpts from my journals throughout the book, still standing, um, to exemplify what I'm talking about. And I used journal excerpts that were common to humanness, not just to bereaved parenthood, so that um, anybody who had not experienced any of these taboo subjects really would know that they could draw on their own strengths when they needed to. Uh, would definitely want to make it a point to bring this up because as you were touching on, as you were alluding to earlier uh, of the three children that you have lost, one was to disease in infancy, but the other two were suicide. And uh, obviously we want to highlight the fact that there are resources for anyone who is struggling or those who know someone is struggling and unsure how to help there is help available. There is, yes. You have, um, in the States, you have a new, relatively new lifeline number, which is 988. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, teen suicide has been the highest rate recently, which is very sad. Um, but 988 is the number that's been set up for crisis line for you and... Uh, There are other resources available online and, um, you know, support groups of all kinds. It's it's a great help if you can reach out to others who are experiencing something similar to you to know that you're not alone, to feel that support. 
Denny Meek, again, is the author of the award-winning memoir, Still Standing, A Mother's Raw Journey from the Shadows of Loss to the Dawning of Hope. She is with us this morning from her native Australia. And do you have a website in conjunction with the book where folks can learn more about it? Yes, I do. It's dennymeek.com. So that's D-E-N-N-Y-M-E-E-K.com. Denny Meek, thanks very much for taking the time and, and certainly best wishes for continued success. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Thank you. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. In Donaldsonville, Louisiana, 57-year-old Michael Maston has been arrested for relieving himself in public. Not only that, but Mr. Maston actually uh, took a, a leak into the public water supply. <laughs> Not just relieving himself in public, but into the public water supply. The incident happened, uh, I guess, earlier this week uh, at the uh, local water plant. Uh, this was all caught on security video. Mr. Maston walks up to the surveillance camera by the water tank and moves it so that only the upper half of his body is on camera. He then walks over to the platform that overlooks the water tank, and he stood there for about 90 seconds. And then you can see him returning to the camera and adjusting it back into its original position. (laughs) You know what he's doing. (laughs) You know what he's doing. Um, the, uh, local sheriff's, uh, sheriff's deputies arrested Mr. Maston. He has been charged with two counts of contaminating the public water supply and two counts of criminal damage to critical infrastructure. Now, the head of the water plant in Ascension County there said that the incident did not pose a threat to the general public, and he insists that the water quality is just fine. But he pointed out that Mr. Maston was fired from his job. <laughs> I would hope so. Uh, but don't worry, the water's just fine. <laughs> Alrighty then. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the broken news, in Minnesota, uh, is, this is uh, Chisago County, Minnesota, where a driver gave deputies a good laugh. When he was pulled over for a traffic violation on Friday night. <laughs> you know, again, we talked about this the other day. Cops, they've, they've seen it all. You know, they've heard all of the excuses and they've seen just about everything. But every now and then something new pops up. Apparently, this uh, driver and his name is not given uh, in the report. The uh, county sheriff's office posted about this on Facebook. So the uh, cop pulls over the driver who hands over his driver's license along with a get-out-of-jail-free Monopoly card. (laughs) You can't take me to jail. I have this here. This will keep me from being arrested. (laughs) Uh, The uh, county sheriff's office posts on Facebook, quote, Unfortunately, the state of Minnesota does not recognize this as a valid document. (laughs) But the deputy did give the driver points for the effort and the humor uh facebook users noted in the comments that the card looked worn around the edges and perhaps had been held onto for a long time um 
no word on whether this is the first time that driver had tried to pull that stunt, but uh, officers did not elaborate on the incident or whether or not the driver was actually ticketed. But I would imagine if the if he was just if he got off with a warning, then the car did its job. So. <laughs> uh, let's see. We have a nomination for Parents of the Year. This from Somerville, South Carolina, where both mom and dad, ages 24 and 23 respectively, are accused of leaving their baby at home so that they could go to the gym for a workout. Uh, apparently, the gym is about 15 minutes from their home, and uh, police say the seven-month-old, the seven-month-old was left home alone. The pair told police they were monitoring the infant uh, with a uh, nanny cam. Oh, well, they had a uh, security camera, so all is fine. That's no problem at all. Both parents have been arrested. Child has been taken into emergency protective services. So. <clears throat> parents of the year. Right there. Uh, let's see. A couple of other items, and uh, this from the uh, online world. Uh, this is the viral video. You got to see this. A New Yorker uh, took it. This is from uh, Wappingers Falls, New York, upstate New York. Uh, took footage of a curious black bear uh, playing with everything in the yard. And this will happen in, in some places, in places where they have bears. Uh, occasionally, the bears will wander onto someone's property, into someone's backyard. And uh, this bear was particularly enamored by the trampoline. <laughs> Anna Corey Watson said, I knew I was seeing something that I was unlikely to ever see again, so I had to capture a video of this. Uh, at first, the bear was playing with the kid's soccer ball in the backyard. And then, at one point, we thought the bear had taken off, but instead, they found it bouncing up and down on the trampoline. <laughs> Bears are funny. I mean, they're dangerous animals. You don't want to mess with bears. They're not cute and cuddly uh, like you think, but they are curious and they uh, are very playful. So it's kind of funny. And uh, this has actually caused a bit of a stir online. Let me uh, share this story. This was actually on Reddit, the online bulletin board, where a 16-year-old girl uh, told the story of what she did when she got fed up with her stepmom constantly finding and reading her diary. All right. So 16 year old girl, her stepmom, she said, was constantly reading her diary. So she decided to give her something to something juicy to read about. She she wrote in her diary that her dad was having an affair with a neighbor. Ooh. She said, I've moved my diary multiple times, but Ariel, that's my stepmom, keeps finding it and reading it. She'll make comments and say things that she would only know about from actively reading my diary. That's how she knows that uh, she's been snooping. Uh, so she said she's asked her to stop. She's asked her dad to intervene, but it keeps happening. So... After giving her stepmom one last chance to stop reading her diary, she said, I then wrote in my diary that I had caught my dad having an affair with our neighbor, our male neighbor. Ho, ho, ho. 
Stepmom ended up reading the diary the next day and freaked out. Yelled at my dad, went over to the neighbor's house, yelled at him, and then took off. Uh, While the uh, family of the teenager on her biological mother's side uh, had no problem with what happened, her dad's side of the family grounded her. (laughs) Um, Many of the uh, users... uh, jumped in to suggest that maybe she should ditch the physical diary and go virtual uh, and do a a password-protected online diary instead. That might uh, solve the problem. But wow! Man, you make up a story like that. I don't know. What do you think? Was she justified? That mom constantly reading her diary, not respecting her privacy? I don't know. Man, that is a tough one. There you go. That is... Today's broken news report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Ever wonder what being a Findlay Rotarian is all about? I'm Angela Dabosky, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County. Being a Rotarian offers meaningful connections with community leaders and to what's going on in organizations across Hancock County. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, all part of a worldwide service club, contact Findlay Rotary at FindlayRotary.org and click on Join. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It is certainly no secret that Americans love their pets. But a new survey sheds some light on just how much we love our pets. Of the 1,500 pet owners that were polled by Rover.com, 37% consider their pets priceless. No amount of money would Separate them from their furry friends. 37%. No amount of it. Now, 25% uh, admit that, well, maybe our pet isn't priceless, but it'd be a million dollars or more. You'd have to give me a million dollars or more to give up my pet. So that's a significant uh, chunk of people who would not part with their pet for at least a million dollars, if any amount at all. Now, that said, the cost of owning a pet is on the rise The annual cost of pet essentials, which includes food, all of the supplies, veterinary checkups, and various other expenditures, the annual cost now ranges up to $3,500 a year for dogs and up to $1,600 a year for cats. Um, 81% of those in the survey say the price of pet food has been the hardest hit on their pet budget. Uh, 41% actually say, and again, this is indicative of how much we love our pets, 41% of those in the survey say they have cut back on their own grocery bills in order to afford food for their pet. (laughs) We're going hungry so that our pets can have their tummies filled. Um. But 82% say that their pets bring them the most happiness of anything they spend money on. So it's worth it. 82%. Let me repeat that because that is significant. 82% of those in the poll say that their pets bring them the most happiness of anything they spend money on. Um, Perhaps it's 
no surprise that the survey also noted 44% of pet parents say that they would consider a pay cut, taking a pay cut at work in exchange for a more pet-friendly policy where they could spend more time with their pet. And I'm thinking, you know, if I own a business, I might look at that and say, you could forego a raise for your employees and instead let them bring their pets to work. And a significant number, uh, nearly half, say that they would be okay with that. That would be just fine. Sarah Clevidence is here from the Findlay Hancock County Public Library. They are seeking your input as they plan for the future. Their strategic plan for the next uh, several years have a, a community survey that they have put out there. We're going to get to that in uh, just a moment. But first, when we talk about uh, upcoming things happening at the library, you've got the uh, big uh, author event, the conclusion of uh, Community Read Month coming up here in uh, just a bit. Yes, Colleen Oakley will be here on April 6th at 7.30 at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, so tickets are available for, through their website or in their box office. But we're really looking forward to having her here and talk about The Invisible Husband of Frick Island. Uh, and she also has a new book that was just released, I think, yesterday. Uh-huh. So might get a little sneak peek on that, too. Yeah, very good. Uh Hopefully, people have been uh, reading his really fascinating book, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island, the uh, community read selection uh, this year, and it explores uh, really a lot of uh, interesting topics. It really does. You know, it's a lighter book than we've had the last few years, mm-hmm. uh, but there's still a lot there to talk about with grief, with uh, community and how they can come together to support yeah. one another, mm-hmm. podcasting, who has the right to tell someone else's story, there's environmental issues. So there's a lot happening in that book. Yeah. Uh, and if you haven't read it yet, you can still pick up a copy. Uh, you do have copies of the library. We right? do. We have plenty of copies at the library. And, uh, or, you can, uh, or you can pick it up and uh, read it. The uh, author event is, what is the date on that? April 6th. Uh, April 6th. Okay. And uh, there are tickets available uh, at the uh, Marathon Center website for uh, more information about that. Uh, we've got it linked up at our webpage, so uh, let's not forget about that big event to wrap up Community Read Month. Uh, we mentioned this survey. You are in the process, and a lot of uh, organizations, entities, and such do this uh, these days, you know, this big strategic plan for the next several years, and you are seeking some input from your patrons as to what they want from the library. Right? We are. We we're working with the State Library of Ohio this year on our strategic plan. It'll be a plan that'll cover the next three years. And the first step is the State Library is conducting a survey for us. So, you know, we're asking how you use the library, uh, what you think the most important things we offer are, what do you think is important that we offer for the community as a whole, uh, what are we not doing that you wish we were. There's a question on there about what your dream library uh, would offer. So, mm-hmm. Just, we really want to know more about how the community uses the library and what you need from us. It's interesting. A generation or two ago, the answers to those questions would be pretty simple. But these days, uh, obviously, just as society as a whole have has changed, the library has there. gone through some dramatic Libraries change. really have. There's a, a lot of things libraries can do. Uh, and any library can do anything at once. But we can't do all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to know what's important to our community. Uh, so how do folks participate in the survey? You can find the survey uh, linked up on our website, finleylibrary.org. If you don't want to take it digitally, we do have paper copies available by the circulation desk in the library. 
And uh, you can also download it from the website you can. Uh, if you yes. want a uh, paper call. That seems kind of odd. If you're going on the website, you may as well go ahead and right. fill it out <laughs> online. But uh, you can uh, download the uh, paper version uh, from the website as well. And when do you hope to have that uh, wrapped up? And then what happens next in that whole process? Yeah, we keep thinking of one more great event to promote the survey. So I think we'll probably keep it open to mid-April. Okay. Uh, then the next step will be... Uh, our facilitator from the state library is going to hold some conversations with staff, with the board, and with the community group. Uh, she'll put all of that data together from the survey and from those conversations, and she'll issue a report for us recommending some uh, service responses, which are typical sorts of things that libraries can do. Mm -hmm. So she'll pick three to five of those areas. Uh, our board will receive that report, and, and once they've approved it, then the staff will get to work in writing the strategic plan with those service responses as the backbone. So I, I, we, when we talk about this, uh, people expect uh, a, a, a dramatic change uh, to what they experience now in the library. You're talking about more incremental change. I think it's much more incremental. You know, this, this uh system we're using, the strategic planning for results, is the same one we've used for our last several strategic plans. Mm -hmm. uh, and while we've seen the service responses change a little bit from year to year, mm -hmm. some of them keep popping back up again, uh, you know, even if uh, early literacy is one of them. So let's say early literacy is not selected. It wasn't selected this last time. That doesn't mean we're getting rid of story time. Story mm -hmm. time's really important to our community. Yeah. Um, but if early literacy is selected, I'd really like us to see include story time in the strategic plan. You know, we, this will be an opportunity to look at the things that we're already doing uh, that might line up with those service responses and, mm -hmm. you know, sort of encapsulate them in the plan and say, how can we improve those things? How can we, you know, put those at the forefront of our activities? So it's not as though uh, within the next three years, people are going to walk into the library and say, what is this? And <laughs> it's going to be totally unrecognizable. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, there has in the past, there's been discussion about uh, expanding the library, moving mm -hmm. the library and so on. Is that part of this discussion? That's not part of this discussion. This is about the services, the programs that we offer to the community. It's really not about our spaces. And uh, again, that survey is up on the webpage now, uh, encouraging all kinds of input, whether you are, and, and I think this is important to emphasize too, whether uh, people use the library on a weekly basis, they're, they're familiar folks mm -hmm. that you see all the time, or people that you only see occasionally, or even people that you don't see. I think it's really important that we get the feedback from people that never use the library. You know, mm -hmm. if you use the library, we can gather some of that information from, you know, the sort of materials that are checked out and mm -hmm. the sort of programs that are attended. That tells us yeah. some things about what the community needs. But if you don't come to the library at all, we'd like to know why and what we could offer that would bring you in. So that uh, feedback is actually even more valuable. It, so if you're listening to this and you say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I don't really use the library, no, that actually is your the exact person exactly yeah a uh, couple of other things that are going on in the month of april that we want to highlight while we have you here bringing back something that you have done in the past yes the craft supply swap we offered that for the first time last year and it was hugely popular so you know mark your calendars it's back again this april uh we will start accepting the donations uh let me see here i want to get the dates right so they don't come when we don't want them 
(laughs) (laughs) Craft supply donations April 12th through the 19th. They can be dropped off at the reference desk at the main library uh, or in our book donation areas that we have down in the lower level. And then April 22nd, which I believe is actually Earth Day, uh, is our craft-to-work craft craft supply swap from 9.30 to 4.30. So you'll be able to come in um, and look at all those donated craft supplies. It's really just about kind of giving them a new home, you know. Those crafters of us out there might have some extra beads or fabric for things that we thought we would do and Mm -hmm. really just aren't going to get around to. So we can pass them on to the next hopeful crafter. And uh, so if you have uh, some craft that you have uh, done, you've got some leftover stuff or you want to donate uh, those, and then, of course gives an opportunity for folks to maybe discover something new. Absolutely. And you do not have to donate in order to come pick things up at the, the craft supply swap. You know, we're just asking things. They can be new. They can be used. They should just be clean. Um, yeah. But, you know, any variety of craft supply is welcome. That'll be fun. Uh, anything else uh, going on that we want to highlight uh, in the uh, month of April while we have you here? Sure. Well, you know, story times and... Uh Many meetups and baby times all still are continuing, uh, at least through the first couple of weeks there mm-hmm. in April. Uh, we do have Symphony Storytime back again on April 10th. I know that one's always very popular. And uh, also more virtual author talks coming up. Here those, those continue. We have two to four a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, more information about all of this at the uh, Findlay Hancock County Public Library website. We have it linked up at goodmornings.net. And again, Sarah Clevidence from the Findlay Hancock County Public Library. Thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. So check us out online. Coming up tomorrow on the program, it's another national accolade for Blanchard Valley Health System. They'll tell you it's their people who make it happen. We'll meet the new chief people officer at BVHS. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.